We're going to grab our Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 today. Ephesians chapter 6. We are back in our Rhythms of Life series. And what we're discovering this summer is spiritual disciplines, spiritual rhythms that we want to develop in our life for the purpose of spiritual growth. And so as we think about these rhythms, and we've already talked about the rhythm of prayer, we've talked about the rhythm of reading and memorizing and meditating on uh, God's word, as we're thinking about these rhythms, the thing that I want us to understand as we kind of plow through all of these disciplines that we want to cultivate into our hearts, understanding that these aren't just rhythms that we create in our, our life because we might need them, but rather we need to understand um, that we are living in a world where there is a very real spiritual battle occurring. A very real spiritual battle. And so when we think about spiritual disciplines in our life, this is the weapons, the tools, the resources that God has given us in order for us to do battle well as followers of Jesus Christ. Y'all have heard me talk about this uh, pastor back in the 1930s named Richard Wormbrand, a man who spent 14 years in prison because of his faithfulness to the gospel. And again, I've mentioned this. If you've not gone and watched the documentary Tortured for Christ, you need to do it because I have such a deeper understanding now of what some of our brothers and sisters have endured through the years in regards to persecution for Christ. But one of the things that Richard says in this documentary is, is that he said, we prepared for persecution like a soldier prepares for battle. In other words, he understood that it wasn't if following Jesus was gonna cost him. It was a matter of when the cost was gonna be experienced. He knew persecution was coming. Therefore, he didn't wait until the moment where he had decisions in front of him. Rather, he made the decisions before those moments came because he was in a constant state of preparing himself for the real struggle that he knew was coming his way. Therefore, prayer and reading scripture and doing life with other believers, uh, Richard was preparing his life for the soon coming persecution that he would endure. So how does a man go through 14 years of imprisonment? because there were years and years of cultivating spiritual disciplines and habits in his life that he was equipped so that when those moments came, he understood what to do. Are you with me? You see, it's understand that we are in a very real spiritual battle and following Jesus will cost us something. And what we're gonna see this morning is this. We're gonna press into the spiritual discipline of one that I've never really heard preached um, growing up. So this is kind of maybe a new spiritual discipline for some of you. But we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of walking in the gospel daily. What does it look like for us to walk in the gospel each and every day? You see, for many of us, we believe that the gospel is just the entrance into the Christian life. And the truth is, is that the gospel is not the entrance into the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life is that Jesus has died and resurrected in order to uh, cause me to move from death to life and be uh, saved and, and restored and redeemed from the life of sin. But it's also the gospel of Jesus and the victory that he has secured for me is also the means by which we live the life that he's called us to live. And so what we're gonna look at this morning is the fact that we are in a spiritual battle and we must, because of this, learn what it means to walk in 
the gospel. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse number 10. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14a, stand therefore. So in, in these verses, Paul is communicating the reality of the spiritual war that is being fought all around us each and every day. But Paul wants us to make, understand something very clearly here in this passage. He wants us to understand that our ability to fight well in the spiritual battle is dependent upon our ability to appropriate the gospel into our life each and every day. So the only way that we can truly do battle on this spiritual battlefield is for us to understand that the gospel has given me everything that I need to find power and strength. Therefore, I must daily choose to walk in the power that is mine in Jesus. Amen? This is what Paul wants us to understand. This passage, when he's talking about spiritual warfare here and we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul's point here is not that we should have our hearts stricken with fear and, and be overwhelmed at the fact that there's a very real spiritual enemy. No, rather, Paul is saying, I wanna inspire confidence in you in the midst of the battle because of what Jesus has provided for you. You see, we don't walk into spiritual battle with fear. You see, the scripture says that we've not given, been given the spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and of love and of sound mind. Where is that found? That's found in the finished work of Jesus. So Paul is not trying to get us on our heels to then all of a sudden be concerned and worried. Rather, he's saying, no, 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 no. There's a very real spiritual battle and you need to be aware of it, but you also need to be aware of the fact that there is very real spiritual victory that is yours in Jesus. We don't live from a position of defeat, but a position of victory. So here's what we're gonna do, all right? So I'm just gonna kind of unpack this text for us. And there are gonna be some applications. You're gonna to wanna to take notes. You're going to, there's gonna be some applications that are very practical at the very end. But what I wanna do is, is just simply give you the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives us. So I want you to think of yourself right now. This is, a, this is spiritual battle training right here. This is spiritual warfare 101. And so what Paul is gonna do here is he is going to give us three commands, three imperatives in this passage of scripture to help us understand the necessity of walking in the gospel every single day in the midst of the battle that we are in. And what he's gonna do is, is these commands are built upon one another. The first is gonna be uh, most important and then he's gonna show us how to do the first in giving us the rest of the commands that we have. And so I wanna give you three commands that Paul gives, and there's nothing pretty about this. I didn't rewrite it. I'm just gonna give you what Paul gives you so that we can know what it means to walk and do battle with the enemy. So here's number one. Here's the first command Paul gives us here. It's found in verse 10. If we wanna fight well, listen to what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
This is a present active imperative. So when Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, this command here is it's, it's, it's imperative. It's, a, it's something he's calling us to do. He's not making a request. Hey, if you can get around to it, be strong in the Lord. No, he's saying, you are called to be strong, to be strengthened in the power of the Lord. But here's what we need to know about this command. It's not just an imperative, but it's a present passive imperative. See, what does that mean? Present means ongoing. Passive means something that you experience, not something you do. So in other words, what Paul is saying here in this first command, this is the secret to spiritual warfare. This is the secret to walking a successful Christian life and doing battle well with the enemy. It is literally translated being made strong in the Lord. He is commanding us to continually be made strong by Jesus. He is not calling us to fight in our own strength, but rather he's reminding us that there is a strength that is foreign to us, that is available to us, and that is the means by which we fight well in this battle. You see, we do not fight or live this Christian life in our own power. The enemy, listen to this, is is much stronger than us. He's much mightier than we are. The, the, the enemy that we have, he's gonna talk about, I and mean, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul understands that the enemy, the evil one, and his army of demonic influences and powers in this universe, they have been at this game much longer than you and me. Like the enemy has supernatural power, we, we, we don't have in and of ourself. He has been scheming and he has been game planning and he has doing bad, been doing battle since the days in the Garden of Eden. He is good at his craft. He is strong and understands his ability. He, he really understands uh, how human respond, humans respond to different temptations and he knows us at sometimes better than we know ourselves. And so Paul is saying to you and me, listen, when you're facing an enemy like that, you need a stronger power than you have within you. You need a strength that is greater than the enemy because the enemy is stronger than you in and of yourself. And listen, the reason so many Christians are running on empty spiritually, the reason we're experiencing spiritual burnout, the reason we're battle fatigued, and the reason for, for many of us, you just kind of given yourself over to the temptations that continue to dominate your life over and over and over again. And here's why. It's because you've been trying to do battle with the enemy and a power and a strength that is inferior to the power and the strength of the enemy. We do not have in and of ourselves and our own natural ability to overcome the enemy. And this is why Paul says to you and me, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. You you can live a victorious life. You can overcome the enemy. You can conquer those things that continue to trip you up over and over and over again, but you cannot do that in and of yourself. But there is a power and there is a strength available to you, but it's found in Christ. So Paul commands us, be being strengthened by the power and the might that is found in Jesus. This is so incredibly important. 
Notice what he says. He goes, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Listen, we're in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. When he uses the word wrestle against flesh and blood, he's, he's talking about the spiritual reality behind the physical dilemmas. So uh, when we think about just, just what we're seeing, I, I'm preaching this sermon last week called Divided States, and we're talking about the, 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 just the conflict that we're seeing in our, our nation right now and this, this constant tug of war that's going on between political parties and ideologies and all this, this rhetoric that's going on. Listen, we need to understand that's not merely natural. There is a very real supernatural work behind the scenes of all of this that's stirring this up. And I'm telling you, Satan right now is having a heyday with the church. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But notice he uses this word wrestle. This word wrestle is literally hand-to-hand combat. The picture would have been two soldiers fighting it out, hands on one another. So picture this, UFC fighting. Uh, my, my kids work out at a gym, and at this gym, they, they train UFC fighters. And so we've gotten a chance to, to, to watch these, these guys train, and they get, and for hours, they will stand there and, and just exhausted, dripping with sweat. And, and it's just these fights and these, this, the, the sparring that they do will go on for 10, 20, 30 minutes, take a break, and then do it again over and over and over again. Why? Because they understand that when they step in the ring, the reason there is only three to five minutes per round and only like five rounds in those fights is because the physical exhaustion the strength that you need in the octagon to do battle with your opponent is, is it takes hours and hours of blood, sweat, and tears to be prepared for one round. And this is the mental image that Paul is, is, is wanting us to have here, is that we are in the octagon with the spiritual enemy. And therefore, we need to understand we must have a strength and a power greater than ours and that strength and power is found in the person and work of Christ alone. And here is the beauty of this. The reason Paul says to us, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The reason this command is so important is because here's what he's saying. I want you to stand in the power and the strength of the one who has already defeated the enemy. You see, this is the beauty. This is why this first command is so important. It's because Paul is saying, I'm going to command you to stand in the power of the one who has already defeated the enemy that's trying to battle you every single day. So why in the world would I ever want to go toe-to-toe with the enemy in my own strength? Why would I not want to clothe myself with the power and the strength of Jesus and stand in the victory that's already mine and his and him? I mean, this is what God is calling us to do. This is what Paul is saying. God has given us a strength and a power to defeat the enemy because the one that that we receive the power and the strength from has already defeated the enemy. Isn't that great? Is that we're not fighting an enemy that we don't have to, we we know how this thing's gonna end. So when I'm going to the daily battles, the victory is already mine. I just need to choose to rest in the strength and the power of the one who's given me the victory. What do you mean he's already defeated the enemy? I want you to hold your place in Ephesians, and I want you to turn over to Colossians. Colossians is a parallel letter to Ephesians, and, and, and Paul is going to, in Colossians, help us understand the decisive victory that Jesus has already made available for us. 
And this is why Colossians 2, where we're going to be Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, Paul is going to help us understand why we must be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might because of the victory that Jesus has already secured for us. Look what he says, Colossians 2. If you're there, say, I'm there. Colossians 2, verse 13. He says, and you, this is talking about you and me, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, so Paul is saying your spiritual condition in and of yourself is you are lifeless. You are dead and, and your trespasses. And he says the uncircumcision of your flesh, which simply means it's that the life of, of sin that we are, are naturally born into. But he says there's something that happened in your life. Look what he says. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So here's the great news. So bad news is you're born dead in your trespasses, in your sin, in the uncircumcision of your heart. But now in Christ, you've been made alive in him because he has forgiven all the trespasses and all the sin. Isn't that great news? Now listen, that would be great news if the verse stopped there, but the verse doesn't stop there. It tells us how in the world this happens. How does God forgive dead, cold, indifferent sinners? How does that happen? How does he just say, I forgive you? Look what he says, verse 14. He does this by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its Legal demands. Look, look what Paul is saying here. He says, the picture is this, that we all, listen, have a record of debt. This is the picture Paul is painting. It's like the business world. There's a record of our debt. So if you have a mortgage on your home, there is a bank that is holding that mortgage, right? And there is a, a legal document that, that declares this is what is owed. This is the debt that you have. And he's saying, listen, the same is true for you and I spiritually, is that we have a spiritual debt and there is a document of this spiritual debt. We owe a God because of our sin. And listen, here's what he's simply saying here, is that, listen, we all have a debt that we owe and every single one of us have defaulted on the debt. We've defaulted on the loan. We have no ability to pay it back. We have no ability to clean the record, uh, to, to make the debt go away. There's nothing in and of us that gives us the ability to do this. But here's what he says. But Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against you and me. You know what that means? Is that not only has your sins been forgiven, but even the record of your sin has been erased. How great is that? The accuser comes at you, and tries to remind you of your sin past, and he's trying to remind you of a sin past that God himself has eliminated the records of. This is beautiful. Look what he goes on to say at the latter part of verse 14. He says this, this record of debt, he has set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the picture of what Paul is, is, is showing here is this, is that so he's saying you have a legal record of your sin, but now, not only has the sin debt been paid, but the record, the legal documentation of that has been completely eliminated forever. And then he answers the question of how. How did he do this? He says, he did this by nailing it to a cross. Now, Paul is, this phrase, mentioning something that would have just kind of, light bulbs would have went off on anyone who understood Roman crucifixion. In Roman crucifixion, um, when a person was crucified, and declared to die by crucifixion, they would take parchment and they would write out the, the offense committed so that everyone who saw a man or woman on the cross, they could see a declaration of the sin or the offense that they committed justifying the fact 
that they were crucified appropriately. And so Paul is saying, listen, Jesus died for our sins. And he's saying, your sins and my sins were nailed to the cross. In other words, Jesus was not dying on the cross for sins that he committed. Jesus is able to cancel the record of debt because on the cross of Jesus, every sin I have ever committed was nailed to the cross. Jesus died as if every sin you and I ever committed, as if he committed them himself. Which means the debt that we owe God because of our sin is fully met in the finished work of Jesus. Is that good news for anybody in this room? This is what Jesus has done for us. He has nailed our sins to a cross that he was put to open shame. He hung, he bled, he died so that you and I who owe God a sin debt, not only would we have our sin debt erased, but it was nailed to the cross. Therefore, the record has been completely removed from me because it was transferred to the person of Jesus who fully paid it. This is why on the cross, Jesus says paid in full completely canceled. This is why the writer of the hymn can say this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And this could be said of every single person who is in Jesus. So what does this mean for Satan? So what does this mean for spiritual victory? Look what he says in verse 15. In doing this, Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The death and resurrection of Jesus won a decisive victory over the evil spiritual realm. The enemy in the cross and resurrection, listen to what he says, was disarmed of his power and authority over you and I. So listen, we are fighting in a very real spiritual battle, but we need to understand that the weapon that our enemy used against us has now been taken from him in the empty tomb, which means when he comes and he tempts and he calls and he entices, we do not have to give in. Why? Because we've been relinquished of his power over our life and he only has power over us that we give over to him. He's disarmed. So think practically here for a moment. We were dead in our sin. We were held captive by the kingdom of darkness under the reign of sin and death. Our sin and our consequences was the weapon that the enemy used against us, but now our debt has been canceled. He has been disarmed of any power over our lives. He no longer has dominion and his accusations have lost its power. Jesus has given a death blow to death and Jesus now reigns victoriously over our enemy. And that is why the apostle Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is why the word gospel, it's a Greek word. It's the Greek word ungelion. It was not a church word or a Christian word. It was a military word. The word gospel is a military term. And it simply means the announcement of victory. 
So whenever you had two armies going at one another, so you had a, an army coming in to conquer a group of people and, 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 and the people were worried, okay, the enemy's gonna come, are they gonna devour us and we're gonna be slaves of the enemy? What would happen is that the king would get his army together and they would go out to the battlefield and they would meet the army that was coming to take them over and they would fight it out on the battlefield. And whenever the fight and the battle was over, if that king's army was victorious, there would be a messenger we would translate that as an evangelist, a bearer of good news. And he would bring a message from the king to the city, and here's what it would say. I have got good news for you. Your enemy has been defeated. We have been victorious. You are not going to be slaves. You are free because your king has fought for you and the army has conquered the enemy. You no longer have to fear the threat of the enemy. It would be an uengelion. And what would happen, that announcement, the whole community in the city would just celebrate and cheer and be glad. Why? because that's good news. And I wanna say to you today, I want to be an evangelist and a bearer of good news for those of you who have been living your life defeated by the enemy. If you are in Christ, listen, here's what you need to know. Your enemy has been defeated. You no longer have to fight for victory. Now you can fight from victory because Christ has set you free from the power of the enemy because he disarmed him in the cross and the resurrection. This is about good news. Christianity is not about good works. It's about good news. That's why the command, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind and the one who has defeated the enemy. That's good news. And there are some of you in this room today or those of you watching online, you so desperately need good news. You so need good news because what you have is good behavior, maybe good intentions and maybe good religion, but you don't have good news because your salvation, your relationship with God has been for the most part of your life dependent upon your ability to perform for him rather than you resting in what he has performed for you. And I'm gonna do something. I don't, I, I don't know if I've done this maybe twice in my entire ministry, like midway through a sermon, just, just to give an opportunity for people to respond. So I'm gonna ask you, wherever you are, just for a moment, this is not the conclusion of the sermon, so don't get excited. I just wanna give an opportunity. I wanna ask you, right, wherever you are, your living room or in this room, everybody just to bow their heads right now. And, and I wanna just encourage you if, you, if you don't know, if you've ever come to a place where you've rested in the finished work of Jesus, here's a couple of things that I want you to know. Without Jesus, the record of your sin debt still remains upon you. And you will spend an eternity paying the debt that can never be paid in a place called hell being separated from your creator forever. And it doesn't matter how good you are or try to be or religious or moral. The reality is the debt that you have incurred is inexhaustible. You see, because the only way for that debt to be paid for, it would require the perfect payment, the perfect sacrifice, and the fact that we have a debt, we are unable, we are disqualified to be the perfect payment or the perfect sacrifice. But Jesus came and he lived and he bled and he died on the cross 
for your sin and for my sin and that if we would trust in his death and resurrection as the only means, and for many, maybe you have trusted Jesus and good works. You've trusted Jesus and something else. And I want you to know it's Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's what you need to know. If you'll just transfer all of your faith from whatever it is that you have it in and you place it in Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that I have a sin debt and I can't pay it back, but I believe that you died to pay it and that you resurrected and that in you, I can be forgiven, I can be made alive and the record of debt that stands between me and God might be erased forever. And what this means is that you can enter into a relationship with your creator. You see, the aim of the cancellation of the debt wasn't just to erase the consequences, but it was to make it possible for us to live in the blessing of relationship with our creator again. And if you're feeling something's missing in your life, you feel like there's a void in your life, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, I want you to know that right now you can trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you can place your faith and trust in him and receive the, 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 the payment that Jesus has made for your sins and be made new today. And right now where you are, you can just simply call on the name of Jesus. Right now in your own words, you can say, God, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that he resurrected. And I'm done trusting in anything or anyone else to give me life. I want Jesus, his death and resurrection to make me alive. Save me, forgive me, make me new. And you can pray that in the name of Jesus. And I wanna say to those of you in the room, you can look up here. And those of you watching online, I'm gonna ask you to do something right now, whether you're in the room or whether you're online. I'm asking you right now, I just talked, talked about this a few minutes ago, you can text the letters NBBC to the number 313131. And if you prayed today to receive Christ, I want you to share that news with us so that we can send you resources. And I'm serious, if you prayed and you're serious about this, of a new life with Christ, and I'm asking you right now, wherever you are, if you say, I don't have a phone, I can't text, great. Well, then you can direct message us, send us a private message on uh, our Facebook page or on our website, um, and we would love to be able to give you information. But if you can text us, NBBC, to the number 31313, we would love to celebrate this new life that you've experienced today. Amen. Isn't it good that God, I believe, saved people right now? Put your hands together. Let's just thank and rejoice in that. If you're in the room, we're celebrating you. If you're online, we're celebrating you. And we're also gonna celebrate the fact that the sermon's not over, all right? So that's, that's command number one. Command number two is this. Listen to this. Look what he says back over in verse 15, or verse um, um, 11. Uh, he says, so he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God. So how are we strengthened in the, in the power of his might? He answers it in the second command. So how do we appropriate the power that we have in Christ? By putting on the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. This is a command that is not independent of the first command. He's actually telling us how do we do the first command by doing the second command. He says, listen, you need to, to put on the full armor of God. Now, here's what we often do in, in this kind of sermon in this text. And all of us have been there. I've preached through this text piece by piece through the armor. But oftentimes when we get into, okay, the, let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness and let's talk about the helmet of salvation. Let's talk about the shoes and the, the belt of truth. Let's talk about all of those things. And that's needed and necessary. But listen, oftentimes when we dissect the armor, we fail to see the fuller picture of what the armor is. 
When he says, be strengthened in the Lord and the the power of his might, and then he says, put on the full armor of God, he's saying, in essence, suit up in the gospel. Let your life be covered with the gospel. You don't separate these pieces of the armor and miss the bigger picture of what it is. He, in essence, is saying, wear the gospel every day. Go to battle with the gospel covering every part of your life. This is the point that Paul is making. He is telling us to suit up in the gospel, allowing the gospel of Jesus to be the protection over the attack of the enemy. That means every area, practically implementing the gospel into every corridor of our existence. This is what pastor and author J.D. Greer says. He says this, he says, the way we engage the demonic is by focusing on the gospel. The gospel should shield our thinking, helmet of salvation. The gospel enables us to believe God's promises, the shield of faith and the belt of truth. The gospel should cause us to preach the good news to others, feet covered. Summed up, have faith in the gospel. Be covered by the gospel. Saturate yourself with the gospel because when you are covered by the gospel, Satan can't touch you. This is why he goes on to say in verse 13, he says, put on the, what's the word here? The whole armor of God, the whole armor of God, not just a portion of it, the whole armor of God. The the, the point he is making is, is that everything that's available to you in Christ ought to be what you are walking in every single day, implementing the salvation that is yours. Just think about this. Think about if a firefighter gets the call and there's a house burning down and there's an apartment complex and there's people to save and there's other homes at risk. Think about how foolish it would be for the firefighter to run out and say, man, I've got my hose and I've got my boots, but man, I'm not gonna take my, my uh, fireproof jacket. I'm not gonna take my uh, helmet. I'm not gonna take any of my gear with me. I've got a few items and I'm gonna go do battle And just what I have, how foolish would that be, right? We would say, that's dumb. Everybody say, that's dumb. We wouldn't do that. No, you would say, no, no, no. Every piece of equipment that you've been given and trained to use is needed to make you effective at fighting the fire. And if you show up ill-equipped, one of two things are gonna be happen. One, you're gonna be ineffective and not helpful. Number two, you're gonna be harmed, if not killed. Therefore, Paul says to you and I, there should not be one area of our life that we don't have clothed, covered, suited up in the gospel. My mind should be saturated with the gospel. My heart should be guarded by the gospel. My, my, my belief what is true and what is not should be guarded by the gospel. What, where I go and what I do and what I say should be guarded by the gospel. That's what he's talking about when he says, suit up in the whole armor of God, every area of our life. Letting Christ and who he is define us in every way. Listen to this. We need to understand that the gospel is not just the message we advance. Listen to me. The gospel is not just the message we advance, but it is also the means by which we advance it. You see, I I don't just preach the gospel. In order for my preaching of the gospel to be effective, I have to walk in the gospel every day. So it's not just the message I proclaim, it's the life that I live and living that life enables me to proclaim the message. The reason many of us do not share our faith 
has nothing to do with our conviction about the message of the gospel, but our powerlessness because we don't walk in the gospel every day. Because I promise you, you start walking in the gospel, you walk in the full armor of God, you will see the world differently, you will think differently, you will respond differently, and the gospel message of Jesus will roll off of your tongue into the hearts and lives of others. But it starts with us implementing the gospel into our life. Now, here, what I love about this is that Paul is not talking just about like, I think when we see spiritual warfare, we get the image of the girl's head spinning and vomit projecting out of her mouth. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen the trailer or you've heard about it. The other denominations, they watch those movies, not us. Um, that was sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> Especially if you're watching from another denomination. Uh, He's not talking about that type of spiritual warfare, although that's, that's there, it's real, all right? But the context of Ephesians is everyday life. This is where the spiritual battle, this is where we need to be suited up. Paul, in, in this context, he is gonna talk about, listen, every area of our life, unity within the church, the purity of my life, my marriage, the way you use your money, the way you parent your children, the decisions you make for your home, the way that you treat your employer or your employees. He says, that's where spiritual warfare is found. It's, listen, it's five o'clock traffic. It's, it's your family going somewhere and, and something is said and all of a sudden now there's just this, where did this come from? All of a sudden, now everybody's at odds with one another. Listen, that's spiritual warfare. And in those moments, you need to implement the gospel into the conversation. It's practical. Which leads me to the final command. Verse 13, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Listen to verse 14. Stand therefore. Now this command, stand therefore, again is not independent. He is not telling you to man up or woman up or just you know, hold your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He says, no, 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 no. Here's what you need to do. Think about the three commands. The first is this, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Walk in a power that's not yours. It's passive, receive this strength. Number two, how do I implement that? By putting on the full armor of God. And when I walk in the full armor of God, what do I do? I stand there for because I am standing in a strength that is not my own and I am clothed with the gospel of Christ, I do not have to flinch in the face of adversity. We fight from victory, not for victory. Therefore, he says, and he says this four different times in this passage, maybe five different times in this passage, to stand firm or to stand. Four times in this passage, to be exact. But he has one main point in this. This is both defensive and offensive. And here's what I mean. Defensively, he's saying, you, you stand in the strength of the Lord, being strengthened by him. How do I do that? By walking in the full armor of God, walking in the gospel, so that when the enemy attacks, you're not gonna give any ground to the enemy. Like a football player who's digging his cleats in, I'm in this thing. I'm not retreating. I'm not fearful of the enemy because I'm standing in a strength and a power that is not my own. But the second is offensive. So not only to stand firm mean don't give the enemy any ground, but he's saying actually you can go against the enemy and usher the kingdom of God into a broken world. You can actually gain ground for the kingdom. Take over enemy territory. 
This is what Jesus is saying when he says to the disciples that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What is he saying? That, that the gates of hell uh, it, we, we will, 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 will withstand or, or be able to um, keep us bound? No, no, no. He's saying, listen, the church of Jesus Christ is gonna be able to kick down the gates of hell and storm enemy territory. So when we think about walking in the gospel, the spiritual discipline of walking in the gospel, here's what that simply means, is that we stand firm because we're standing in a strength not our, our own, clothed in the gospel. Therefore, when the enemy hits me, he doesn't take any ground, but my life is a constant push into the enemy territory for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Christians do not live on defense. We live on offense. And our calling is to advance the kingdom. So let me get practical with you and then we're done. I'm gonna give you three things to write down. I'm not gonna spend time here because I don't think we have to. I think, I think you get the bigger picture. So okay, pastor, help me know some things that I could practically do for rhythm's sake. Here's number one. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Did you know this? In the New Testament, the gospel is preached more to Christians than non-Christians. Think about every, Paul, every letter that Paul wrote. Who are they written to? To the church or to pastors of the church. And what does he do in every single letter? He spends the majority of the letter preaching the gospel to people who have already embraced the gospel. Why? Because we forget we need to be reminded constantly of who we are. You preach the gospel to yourself constantly. This is why we need to be immersed in God's word. We need to know what Christ has done. We need to know who he is. We need to know who we are in him because the enemy will begin to convince us that we are, our identity is rooted and found somewhere else and he's gonna entice us toward things. But if we're preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, we're being reminded constantly of who we are because of who Jesus is. And all of your imperatives of following and obedience will be done out of the indicatives of who Jesus is and what he's done. So we preach daily to ourselves. We constantly immerse. Listen, you don't grow beyond the gospel. I had a, a person who told me a few years ago they left, they left our church because you just preach the gospel too much. I, I can't get a better compliment than that. And it's not just evangelistically. I want us to be gospel people. Why? Because that is where the Christian life is lived. You don't mature beyond the gospel. You mature deeper into the gospel. I want deep roots into the finished work of Christ. I don't know about you. Preach the gospel daily. Here's number two. Listen to this. Pray the gospel when facing temptation and doubt. Pray the gospel when facing temptation and doubt. So when that temptation comes, Jesus, I know that in you, I am more than a conqueror that you have set me free from the dominion of sin and death. And Jesus, I understand that in you, I have victory over the enemy, that, that no, no weapon formed against me can prosper. You begin to pray when doubt and temptation come your way, you begin to pray the gospel of Jesus into your life. So let me give you these first two that we're talking about. This is why the rhythms that we've already dealt with are necessity. How can you preach the gospel yourself daily if you're not immersed into the scriptures? How can you pray the gospel into your life if you're not constantly in a state of praying and spending time in prayer and knowing the gospel and knowing what it means to pray it into your life? This is why reading the scriptures and praying is a, is a habit you develop. So when it comes to walking in the gospel, listen, you, you've, you've got things to pray now. You've got things to preach now to yourself. So you preach it daily, you 
pray it into your life. Here's number three. You prioritize gospel community within the local church. You prioritize gospel community. Listen, I need brothers and sisters in the local church that I'm doing life with to if my life begins to veer, that means that I'm giving the enemy ground. I need brothers in my life who will say to me, pastor, friend, Todd, this is not consistent. I need brothers I can go to and say, the enemy is just kicking my door down every single day in my mind and I need somebody to hold me up. What are they gonna do? They're gonna preach the gospel to me. They're gonna pray the gospel over me and they're gonna walk this life with me. Here's where one of my fears are with coronavirus. I think many of us, even though we're engaged but we're not engaged and groups have not been going like we need to get groups to going. My fear for our church family is that if we start learning, if we start building the habit of living in isolation, we're gonna be easy targets for the enemy. This is why if you cannot come to gather in person because of health reasons, continue to be faithful pressing in online. And I don't mean on Wednesday when you're running on the treadmill. I mean on Sunday morning when we're gathered together as the people of God, leaning into the word of God together, praying and worshiping as the body because we need connection to the body. And if you're able to be in person to make this a priority, listen, we are easy targets. And by the way, families, your families are easy targets. I wanna remind you that you, we are living history right now and there is a script of history being written into the hearts of your children right now and either they're gonna remember the coronavirus and all of the crazy chaos of 2020 as the season of life when their church, when their family leaned into the body of Christ. I remember going to church and wearing masks. I remember dad pinching me because the pastor was preaching too long and I was getting bored and I remember uh, you know, uh, gathering in our living room and dad would uh, get us up and mom would fix breakfast and we'd get our Bibles and we would watch because we couldn't be there but we were gonna be where we could at that time I remember that or they're gonna remember man there was a lot of lake weekends and we did a lot of traveling because man we had our get out of church free card and it might be that that history script being written in their life might be where they could really put a finger on that's when our family began to drift that's when I began to lose interest prioritize the Proverbs say this whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire he breaks out against all sound judgment. Christians who live in isolation are wooed by the enemy to seek out their own desires. We need one another. We need one another. I'll end with this. I remember being in Africa a few years ago, by 15 years ago now, and we were on a safari and I was watching this group of giraffes move through a meadow and I look over here and there's a lion and this is no, no joke, I'm sitting up on this hill in this truck and there's this lion and you can see him weaving out, almost crawling and, and we watched this for an hour. He was not in a hurry, but he began to weave through the giraffes. They had no idea he was there. We were watching for, 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 through binoculars and before I knew it, there was a small giraffe and this lion got between that giraffe and the rest of the herd. This giraffe being careless, young, began to drift until it went over a hill and all of a sudden you saw the lion head that way. I don't know if he got the giraffe or not. I would have loved to have known. But what I was watching in that moment is how deceptive that predator is. 
and how creative he was at distancing the giraffe from the rest of the herd. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. We need one another. And so that's what it was doing. And so this is what I thought of. There are so many Christians who are easy prey for the enemy because the enemy has used various things to begin to separate us from the body of Christ, from the people of God. And listen to me, if I could say anything to our church family in this season, we need the covenant community now more than ever. Why? Because we need the rhythm of walking in the gospel. And I have learned that the greatest way for me to walk in the gospel is to walk in gospel community with other believers. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray over you. And then we're gonna be getting out of here and dismissed. But I pray for you today is if you would put on the full armor of God so that you can stand in a strength, not your own, so that when the enemy comes, you can stand firm in Jesus. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have done today. I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would suit us up in your son and let us stand against the enemy with power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.